good morning, everybody. It's good to be back preaching again after taking a few weeks off. Wanted to be on mission trip with our youth, and that was a fantastic opportunity. And then I hope you were here last week and heard their testimony and the power of how God moved in their lives. Uh, that is, that's what happens when we reach out and we serve others as we get to experience the power of God. We're starting a new sermon series that I'm very excited about on the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed together. I'm a big believer that when we do things in worship, we need to tell you why we do those things in worship. So periodically, we'll, we'll have a sermon series on why we sing and why we pray, why we do Holy Communion or the Eucharist every single week. And this week, we're going to talk, or these next three weeks, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is incredibly important, incredibly powerful, and it shows us not only how we pray, but what it means to follow Jesus. So I want you all to shout it out. What was the first prayer you learned as a kid? Just anybody. Maybe one at a time. <laughs> uh-huh. What else? Now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, what is the God is good, God is great. Now the whole rest of that one. Uh, my daughter has been learning this awesome prayer at her Mother's Day out. Um, that, that she will sing to us every single time. In fact, she wants to pray every single week, at, every single day at, at dinner time, and, and that's really awesome. I don't know about you guys, but the Lord's Prayer was one of those things for me. It was one of the first prayers I learned. And one of the incredible things about the Lord's Prayer is that even though you're going to see over the next three weeks how brilliant it is and the depth of its theology and what it teaches us and how to pray is something as simple that a child could learn. And child could memorize. And I remember praying with my parents who are here this morning, so it's always great to have them. Uh, my, Michelle has decided that for two weeks she's going to go on vacation and leave the rest of us behind, so I called in um, reinforcements. <laughs> and I called in my parents, so uh, make sure you all say hi to them. But uh, I remember learning the Lord's Prayer from a very young age, and it's, it's always been a part of who I am. It's always been something that I can turn to, that I can recite when I'm struggling. So we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks, about what it means and why it is so vitally important. Have you ever been driving to work and all of a sudden you get there and you're sitting at your desk or maybe you're driving to something that you do on a regular basis and you get there and you think for a second, I don't really know how I got there. Now, maybe I'm just absent-minded, but that happens to me all the time. Or maybe you're so used to going one way on the highway that when you're supposed to take a different exit, you just blow right by it. Because, you, you know, we get these patterns in life that we're used to just going down the same pattern that we don't even pay attention. I think the Lord's Prayer can kind of be like that. But one time my daughter Sophie taught me an incredible lesson about opening my eyes and paying attention to even the things we do every single day. She was two years old, and it was my job every day to take her to daycare, because the daycare was at the church I was working at at the time, and I would walk her in. And if you've had a two-year-old or you've been around a two-year-old, you know the adventure of taking a two-year-old from your car to any place you want, to, want them to go, right? You do not just go straight there. It's kind of this wandering line. And every once in a while, Sophie would kneel down or squat down or even sit down on the ground and start playing with something. You know, if, it, if we were lucky, it was like a leaf. Or maybe it was a rock, or if it was not, if we're not lucky, it was like trash or a piece of gum or something disgusting. But I was amazed at her ability to be captivated by something so simple, something that we walk by every single day. 
And how often do we walk by what should captivate us and just blow by it? In 1963, there was this filmmaker named, his last name was Paolini, and he was stuck in the city of Assisi because the Pope was coming through, and there was nothing to do. He just had to sit in his hotel room. And like many hotel rooms, right next to the bed, there was a Bible because of the Gideons. And he opened it, and he just started reading it because, like I said, he had nothing better to do. And he started reading Matthew. And he got so captivated that he then continued to read Mark, Luke, and John all in one sitting. And then in that moment was inspired to write a movie and then later direct that movie about the life of Christ despite being an avowed Marxist and atheist. When was the last time you let the words of Jesus captivate you? When was the last time you slowed down and really looked at what you're reading or listened to what we're praying? In the original Greek, the Lord's Prayer is 57 words, 57 incredible, life-changing words. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how we believe when we, we pray this prayer that God is present with us, that God is near, that God is like a parent to us. And yet, God is also out of this world and powerful and created everything and something to be respected and maybe even feared. We're going to talk about how we are to trust God with our past, our present, and our future. And God is in both the big things of life and in the details. And then finally, we're going to talk about how this prayer inspires us to live out our calling as Christians to bring heaven on earth. So here we go. We're going to, I'm not actually going to read this in the CEB, which is the translation that I use most weeks, but I'm going to, I'm going to share it in the, the, the common traditional language that most of us are used to as we look at the Lord's Prayer. So this is chapter 6, and we're just going to look at verse 9. Pray like this. So the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's interesting because this is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and so Jesus had gathered his disciples, and there were other people who were listening to Jesus teach these amazing things, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. Think about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The last, the losers, the lost, the broken. God, Jesus is saying, those people that God's favor is upon them. He also goes on to say things like, love your enemy, forgive those who hurt you. He's teaching these incredible things and it's, it's really cutting the disciples straight to the heart. As he teaches them what it means to be truly human and be made in the image of God. And so they want to know, like, how does Jesus have this deep and abiding relationship with God? And they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, I was in the military, and I would be expecting a PowerPoint presentation because that's how we do it in the military. But that's not how Jesus does it. He gives them an example. He gives them a way to pray. By showing them how to pray. So often we learn this faith by watching others and modeling our life after them. And he says, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
What's amazing in this one line, it holds in tension two very distinctly different ideas. That God is holy. When we say hallowed, that's just a fancy old word for saying holy. Holy is your name, you who are in heaven. That speaks to a God who is more than us, a God who is outside our reality, a God who created our universe. But it begins with our Father. Our father, our father, our parent, our mothers, they're people who are as near and dear to us as breath. People who love us and are devoted to us and want to be a part of our lives. So this one line tells us that God is the kind of person who wants to be near and dear as close to you as you are with your parents. And yet God is also bigger than we can possibly imagine And those two things are held in tension. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how God can be a God who is both present and transcendent, both with us and out of this world. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mentioned that my my dad is here. Uh, He gets a shout out in the sermon today. I didn't plan that, by the way. It just sort of happened. But you know, I made mistakes just like any kids. I know it's hard to believe, right? But I did make mistakes as a kid. And, and I tend to have a smart mouth. I'm very sarcastic. And, and oftentimes, I would drive my mom crazy, which makes a lot of sense, right? And she would get fed up with me, and she would say the thing that all mothers say, right? Wait till your father gets home. And of course, I'd be terrified. And I would just be sitting there, and my dad would walk in the house and, of course, I'd be sitting there waiting for him because I just wanted to get, get it over with because I knew I was going to be in trouble. And uh, I don't know if I just had a look on my face, kind of like a dog. You know when a dog, like, pees in the house and, and they have that look and you know they've done something wrong? I must have had that look because every single time my dad would look at me. Do you remember what you would say? And he would say, these two words still drive fear into my heart. He would say, que pasa. <laughs> I don't know why. He just would. He, from West Texas. He would say, que pasa, which just means in Spanish, what's up? But to me, he was like, hey, dummy, what'd you do this time? And it would strike fear directly into my heart. And there is an aspect of God that holds us accountable to who we are supposed to be. We are taught to fear, to respect. That doesn't mean that we are afraid God is going to destroy us or that God is going to do something to hurt us, but we are called to fear and respect who God is. And that's what this line reminds us, that God is one who is in heaven, and he is holy. And God expects us to be holy. In fact, Jesus is later on going to go say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now what that means is that we are to strive to be holy as Jesus and God are holy. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is from Exodus chapter 3. In fact, my best friend for my wedding painted this as a, as a picture for me, and it's, it's the burning bush story. And I, we're going to watch a short video from the Prince of Egypt, which I think beautifully describes this moment in the, in the text. So if you will, Chris, please.
Here I am. Take the sandals from your feet. For the place in which you stand is holy ground. So Moses, before he is called by God to be the instrument that God is going to use to save the Hebrew people, encounters this burning bush that's on fire, and yet it's not burned up. And God tells Moses what? Take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. When we approach God, we are standing on holy ground. And then God shares God's name, which is God's, what, what God reveals his name to be in the Bible, which is Yahweh. I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. That God is more than our time. That God is more than our existence. That God is this awesome, incredible, holy, other, and powerful being. And when you are in the presence of God, take off your shoes for you are standing on holy ground. And what's amazing is when Moses, when he meets God and he has this deep relationship with God, he is literally transformed. He sees God and he becomes transformed. So when we meet God, we are physically transformed. We are spiritually transformed by that relationship because we can't help but be transformed. In fact, the people of Israel, not only are they afraid of God and of of looking in God's face, but they're afraid of looking at Moses. So they ask Moses to wear a veil over his face. Because that transformation terrifies them. God is holy and God is other. God is in heaven. And when we meet God, we are transformed and we are also called to be holy. There's another example that I really like, and it's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's about the Pavinci children when they travel to Narnia and they meet this beaver, talking beaver. Why a talking beaver? I have no idea. But they meet a talking beaver. And the beaver, their beaver's like, we need to take you to Aslan so you can defeat this evil queen. And they, they tell the children that Aslan's a lion. And, and Lucy, you know, I love Lucy in these stories. If you've never read them, I, I highly recommend it. But she goes, is he safe? And the beaver kind of laughs and says, no, he isn't safe, but he is good. And he is the king. When we approach God, we have to realize that we are dealing with spiritual dynamite in our prayer. That we are approaching God who is in heaven and is powerful and other. And that there needs to be a healthy fear and respect of of who God is. However, when we only talk about the God who is other and the God who is out there, the God who is powerful, we start to get this image of God who we have to appease or this image of God who is angry and that we have to do everything we can to make God happier. There's nothing that can appease God. God is merciful towards our actions. That doesn't mean God wants us to continue them, but God has mercy towards us. Or perhaps we might think of this God, this other God, and this out there God as someone who set the world in motion as, as a clockworker makes a clock and, and, and sets it to work. And then never interacts with that again because God is more than our existence. 
And that's why it's also so important that we understand that God is our Father. And it's even more remarkable than that because the Aramaic uh, that is translated here, it actually is more like the word of daddy. It's like what we call our father when we are children. And we look up to our fathers and we say daddy in that unconditional love that we have for our fathers and our fathers have for us. Now, I want to I take a little aside right here because not everybody has a great relationship with their father. Not everybody has a great relationship with their mothers. And it can be really hard when we talk about as God as father, and I, and I get that. But I think it's incredibly important that we understand that while God is not a male and God is not a female, God is that divine parent who will never let us down. So if you are a person that didn't have the greatest father, my biological parents, not these wonderful people who adopted me, but my biological parents were not the greatest. I understand it breaks us. But know that you have a heavenly father who will never let you down, who will never leave you, and will never abandon you. And so in the midst of your pain, take that pain to your heavenly father. I don't know about many of you, but when I was hurt when I'd fall and I would scrape my knee or when I got in my first wreck I would call my dad or if if I needed comfort I would I would call my mom that's why we call out to our parents isn't it because we need comfort or we need wise advice that's the kind of relationship God wants with us when we fall when we make mistakes when we're hurting God wants us to cry out in that pain, cry out in our need to God who can be with us and provide the comfort that no one on this planet can provide, that we can only receive through God who is our Father in heaven. What Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is that we are to love God, that we are to have the type of relationship with God that we are to have with our earthly fathers. There's a great story about a a guy named Kenneth Bailey, who was an expert in Middle Eastern culture and also uh, a pastor. And and he was taking the parables that Jesus taught, and he was sharing them with the, the, the tribes that are still in the Middle East today that live much in the same way that the people of the Bible live. And he was telling them these stories. And he was telling the story of the prodigal son, and if you never heard of it, it's, it or never heard it, it's the, the son who asked the father for his inheritance, which is basically like telling your dad, I wish you were dead because I want what you have. And the God gives him his inheritance and he runs away and he, he wastes it all and he comes home to be a servant in his father's house. But while he was a long way off, the father runs to the son and accepts him back into the home as his child. And so he was relating this story to these tribesmen. And at first, when, they, when he mentioned that the son asked for his inheritance, the, the tribesmen laughed and said, a father would never do that. He would smack his son upside the head and tell him to go home. And then as he began to relate the rest of the story, and the story about the father who starts to run, this look of dread came on their face. They said, oh, and even anger. No father would ever do that, for to run would be to shame himself. To let his ankle show would would shame him in front of the rest of the tribe. No father would ever do that. And yet, it's exactly what happens when we pray, our father. 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God comes running. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, puts both of these two ideas in context for us. God is both our parent who is as close as possible. God is also holy in other and calls us to be holy. May you, as you go about your week this week, have a deep and abiding relationship with God as your father, God as your parent, God as your companion, and yet also allow that same God to call you to holiness and true life through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.